Hello and welcome to another edition of Sports Yak, uh, the Modern Times Sports Podcast. I'm Wayne, and with me, as always, is our czar of everything, John. Dosladanya, comrades of sports. Uh, because we are prone to wandering off topic and elongating these conversations, we're going to try something else out. So we resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try and spend about 10 minutes on each of the local teams. I don't mm-hmm. count the Coyotes because they probably won't be here much longer. So we're going to hit the, di- the Diamondbacks, the Cardinals, and the Suns. And when you hear, <laughs> that means we've reached our allotted time limit. So whether I'm in between a four-and-a-half-minute thought or not, we're going to move on to the next segment. Can I hit it once? You're going to hit it all the time. You have the timer. Okay, good. Oh, I have the timer. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right, so... Uh, and away. Here it goes, and away we go! <laughs> All right, so uh, spring training is coming to a close. Baseball, uh, I believe next next week we get started. Um, yeah, sure. Um, Diamondbacks currently sit with a fifteen and fifteen record in spring training, so I mean that means absolutely nothing. Dime- means they're even. Yeah, Diamondbacks last you know last season had Great. the Cactus Great. League oh, record, yeah. and they they're made Cactus a huge champion. They made a huge deal about it, and I think. That was the sole reason that A.J. Pollock's elbow broke? No, no, no. No, we know this. Okay, let's break through the stereotype one more time. Everyone knew. I mean, Pollock didn't play all spring training because he, his elbow was hurting the whole time. No, I think, no, I'm not saying him them playing hard in spring training. I'm saying them bragging about winning the Cactus League. Yeah, is, they knew it was the only thing they were going to win. Just every time someone said something, a little splinter. Yeah, we knew they weren't going to win the best uniform. <laughs> Ever. I actually just saw a little kid in a Little League uniform with the old color scheme, and I just I missed it so much. You mean the it purple was, and... The purple and turquoise? Yeah. It was awful. It was ugly, but at least it was unique. Yeah, it was. Now it just looks like they're like every other maroon fucking I like the team. thing that Rob Lowe said, right? He, didn't he say something? Oh, it something looks like garbage man often. in space. <laughs> that's something you don't hear very often. <laughs> what Rob Lowe whispered in my ear? I like something that Rob Lowe says usually only takes place in between like 2001 and 2003 when he wasn't having sex with minors or saying super racist shit. Oh, you know, I think Rob Lowe and his sex with minors is overrated. <laughs> Okay, let's We've stay only on. got seven minutes Wait, left. Um, on topic. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we can establish that's overrated. For instance, one of the best... You mean the record in spring training? Yeah, one of the best Cactus Lee teams this year is the Angels, who are going to be soft. lucky if they can get 30 <laughs> wins this year. So, uh, first off, let's look at the pitching staff. It was the biggest problem last year with Granke um, and uh, Shelby Miller, both just underperforming greatly. Um, not really looking all that... Great this year. Granky, granted, has only pitched a few innings, but he's got a four plus ERA. He was decent in his last outing with the Cubs, but pretty crappy in the one before that. Right. He's got one more to go before spring training's over. Sure. And I think that's. I mean, at this point, he's Zach Granky. He's either like a four ERA guy or a sub two ERA guy. Yeah. There's really no in between with him. So. Yeah. You know, I like how you put on there. Can they write the ship? Um, and I want to say it maybe is to be can they write the shit <laughs> because. They were for shit last year. Well, I mean, honestly, were. I mean, I, you know, pardon me if anyone's offended, but um, <laughs> forget, forget you. Oh uh, no, um, we're not moving on. But um, can they write the ship? Uh, I think they can. I mean, we talked last time a little bit about the catcher, you know, duty. I know we're going to get there again, and probably in this conversation. Ooh. But you know, there's something to, um, you know, maybe having a uh, the ability to take pre-game discussion out into the field and sticking with it. I mean, I, you have to think that they went over the same crap 
um, with Castillo and whether it just didn't translate or when they got into situations, they diverged from the plan for something. And I would assume that that's what they're talking about. Besides pitch framing and Castillo doesn't really, he, you know, he kind of blocks out the umpire. He's kind of a big <laughs> dude. I mean, the umpire couldn't get close, um, you know, and who knows. But I think that there's going to be some change just because I think, you know, there's a few guys that are tough or now against batters. Ray, I think, is going to be tough against batters. You know, Bradley's in the bullpen, so that I think that's going to help things. And he also can come in and kind of do spot starts. He's probably going to be more of a long reliever. Um, but who knows what, what his need's going to be. Um, but I think the additional walker is good. And obviously Miller's looked a lot better. He looked better this spring than he looked last spring. Though uh, to the tune of a seven three six ERA this spring. So <laughs> on, obviously ERA wins, losses, especially in spring, don't tell the whole story. Yeah, the ball's coming out of his but hand. For instance, Three. he's got a yeah, he's got an eighteen to four strikeout to walk ratio, which mm-hmm. walks were a huge problem for him last year. So right. that that's actually kind of a theme I've seen with their starting pitching staff is they don't have great ERAs overall. Corbin is leading the pack with a They haven't walked four, as many people this but spring. Yeah, Corbin, I agree. these are their uh, strikeout to walk ratios. Uh, Corbin seventeen to three, Walker four hundred three ERA, but twenty eight to two. So that that's pretty excellent. Yeah. Um, Granky not great at five to three, but like we said, he hasn't pitched all that often. Ray twenty two to eight, um, and then Miller eighteen and four, eighteen to four. So those are obviously pretty. Uh, yeah, those, yeah, those are really that good That bode numbers. well. You know, it's spring training, so they're not always throwing 100% when it comes to velocity. Um, they're still getting their arms in shape, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I won't write them off because of the ERA, but that 7.36 for Miller does throw me red flags only because of his season previous. If this was the same Shelby Miller who had posted right. mid-3 to low-3 ERAs in his past three years and he gets Definitely a 7.36 in the spring, I, yeah, no big deal. But because of the track record now, that it's Last a year. it's a bit worrying. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there has been at least from the dialogue you hear coming out of the D backs dugout front office is they wanted their pitchers to throw to the strike zone and get action. Don't sure. try to strike everybody out. Don't try to be too fine. You know, obviously you can't just groove one down the middle every time. You can't groove fastballs down the middle. But I think they want to pitch to contact. And hopefully it's when you have a more uh, ready and established and consistent defense, whether some of those, um, you know, uh, batted average, batting average balls in play hopefully goes down. I don't know what it was this year if you, if you have that. I don't have that. Um, thanks. <laughs> Sorry Call, about that. <laughs> but you did give me a natural segue into something else with uh, patting out. I don't know if that's such a great idea, pitching to contact for a team like the Diamondbacks, only because they've got Drury – he was coming to second base full time for the first time. Um, I don't worry about Drury. They've got Lamb. I don't worry worry about Drury defensively like I worry about Swanson defensively at shortstop for the Braves. <laughs> they've got they've got Lamb. I'm not going to take the bait on that one because I got things to say. So and the so these are I, I looked up some fielding numbers for the spring. Drury's got a 951 uh, fielding percentage. He's got it's that's I mean that. Only accounts for two errors in the 86 innings he's played. But then you've got Lamb, who's at 909 at third base, and Lamb is kind of a hit-or-miss guy when it comes to – he's not bad, but he can make some miscues. Yeah. The one thing that struck me was a Pollock, and once again, I mean, it's one error, but he's only got one assist also. He hasn't played a ton in the outfield, which I think they're learning. Right. But it just makes me wonder with the low assist number, is it is that elbow still bothering him? Is he not throwing full – yeah, I mean, so, 
It's you been, have to see him out there. I mean, you know, he obviously know. played at the end of the regular season last year, so he was supposedly fully. You think he was fully healed at that point? Because otherwise, they wouldn't have thrown him in there because there's no point at the end of the season. But yeah. I mean, he's got obviously got to be an upgrade over what they had last year. Oh sure. And, and you know, we know that you know they missed him um, extensively, but you know, he looked like the, the same defensive player at the end of last year. So you have to figure that's going to be there. And again, you know, like we know, some of these. Um, Spring training numbers can you know be thrown out the door because when the games you know sure. mean something, and when you have more um, attempts like we talked about Pollock's, it's it's one it'll, error. It'll regress to the mean, yeah. Yeah, he had in in ten games in uh, forty one innings. Yeah, um, and you gotta had, think they're just a whole well. He did out. have six putouts, so he caught six balls. Well, there you go. He's <laughs> not he's not missing them, so he's better than me at men's softball. And he's got one double play. So. So, uh, but that also, um, when you're addressing Drury and Owings, they're on the offensive side, they're both tearing it up. They're both tearing it up, and I think that's why they're out there, number one, both for their offense. Drury put together a great season last year, um, and uh, him and Lamb are both just, they're both, uh, let's see what, what their numbers are at. Uh, yeah, Lamb's hitting 350 with three home runs. Yeah, I mean, Drury has the makings, uh, you know, and I think we all saw this, I think it was two years ago in spring training. Yeah. The guy was just, he yeah. looked like a big league He's hitting four oh eight, and so that's why they're out there. So if he can just be a, a average yeah. defense, then that's all you need. I mean, the guy is top-notch. He is a he is a top-notch offensive player. He trains with, you know, all the best. Uh, I think him and Troy Tulowitzki are good friends. Um, and, I mean, the guy has a chance to maybe win a batting title, Maybe a triple crown. That's, I mean, he, he has power. He's got average. Um, you know, he's he's a, he's a, maybe a once in a lifetime guy to come and play in the infield and hit for you. Um, but whether he's going to stay healthy and continue, I mean, you could say that to anybody when it's their second year, their first real full season out of position. But yeah, you're right. Another another surprise, a good surprise though, also is Chris Owings is hitting, which he hasn't been able to do at the major league level consistently yet so hopefully that maybe this is a sign of good things to come he's hitting 375 with two home runs in spring which flashed the leather yesterday yeah. i think we saw you know cuz he can if he can hit he can end up uh, being a type of Ben Zobras type of guy for you where he might not start every day but he might start at shortstop then at second base and then you know he's going to get almost starter numbers just by playing every position when someone needs a break. You know, it does seem like, though, they're leaning to go with him. I mean, that's all the scuttlebutt yeah, cause and who's playing right Nick now. Nick Ahmed is, is Nick Ahmed in spring training, and he's yeah. giving you what you expect, 220, you know. He's actually giving you a little more pop, not in the home run department, three doubles, three triples, which is decent, yeah. you know. I also but, wouldn't be surprised to see some late-game substitution. I You know, I know we haven't seen toward... What's <laughs> the time? Uh, ignore the time. Um, I, my last point, I know we haven't seen Tori Lovello make any kind of changes yet, but I suspect, and I'll make the prediction now, that I think we're going to see some severe late-game substitutions. We're going to go with Owings early, and you might see Ahmed come in to play the 8th, yeah, ninth yeah. inning. Sure. Um, especially if they're ahead, they're just going to want to shut it down and have somebody play deep. Or throw Owings in the outfield for Tomas at some point, because he right. turned into a pretty... Or Blanco goes out pretty, there to play defense. A pretty decent defensive outfielder last season for having never done it before yeah so okay yeah and they've um, got Gregor Blanco um last point Jeff Mathis is hitting 421 I think that'll continue into the regular yeah. season he's going to be the first player since Ted Williams hit 400 in a season <laughs> 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 moving on the power of the no, buzzer no rebuttal allowed on to the Cardinals <laughs> all right so the Cardinals just had 
the worst free agency in recent memory. Oh, that's no for the Cardinals. Well, for the Cardinals, they've had well, and that's but that's I don't know. Remember the free agency period after the '98 playoff? Recent memory. <laughs> I'm talking about time. That's era, right. You don't remember answer. that. No, I do remember actually. <laughs> I'm not talking about when the only people the Cardinals could sign were either people nobody wanted right. or free agents looking for a payday before they retired. Exactly. Um, I'm talking about in the Kime area when they've actually done very well. Right. That's not saying that this free agency period has been awful. It's just that sure. com- comparatively to recent years. And I think, as Steve Kime so eloquently attempted to point out, that it is a sign of this, of their system's progress because a guy like Tony Jefferson was an undrafted free agent that they right. picked up, and now he was one of the most sought-after safeties in free agency. Um and the biggest losses, they lost Calais Campbell to Jacksonville. Boo. Um, Tony Jefferson to Baltimore. Double boo. Marcus Cooper to Chicago. Yeah. Who, well, he got a lot of shit, but he actually played pretty decent if you look at the numbers, yeah, no, especially at the beginning of the season. Sure. Especially for, for a guy they traded for a song, you know. Um, and then DJ Swearinger, who was expected to kind of be the guy they might use to replace Jefferson, ended up getting yeah, $13 know. million over three right. years to go to Washington, right. which you can't blame the team for losing any of these guys because – you're not gonna number one. You're not gonna pay Swearinger thirteen million. Uh, so, well, you know Swearinger what thirteen million? Thirteen million or so to Washington. Um, I'm not sure what Cooper's contract was, but they paid more than the Cardinals could. The Cardinals had like no cap space. So obviously, and then Jefferson and Campbell got huge contracts to leave. So, I mean, best case scenario, they'd want to keep one of those guys at least, but they just all got big money, and sometimes that's. That's what happens when you are consistently signing guys, which as the Cardinals have done in the past few years with Tyrion Matthew and um, Carson Palmer, and you know you're signing these guys. Eventually, you run out of cap space. So, yeah, and you don't lose Larry Fitzgerald. He's still coming back, so you have a receiver. So you know you're going to get a guy with 100 catches. Like, yeah. he, obviously, he's lost the downfield uh, aspect of his game, but he's going to haven't we all? But <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's going to get you 100 catches and. You know, be that guy that you can count on. So yeah, and you know, with David Johnson, uh, you know, you can let him use his. Um, I'm sorry, someone just fell down on their face out outside of our studio window here. Um, kind of distracted me there for a second. Looked like uh, Carlos Dansby, um, and we'll get to Carlos Dansby in a second. Um, however, uh, I think you know, with really some of the biggest losses, like you've mentioned, are on the defensive side of the ball, though. Yeah. And so, you know, like um, I think you, you were going to lead us into, um, Frosty Rucker and uh, Nick Mdiche, um those guys have a chance to step up. I mean, Rucker, we've relied on him. Rucker's I mean, solid. He's no Calais. Calais Gamble is a top-notch guy. So, yeah. But Rucker is serviceable. A living wall. Yeah, and Rucker is serviceable, and Kim Dichie is supposed to, you know, he's a first-round talent who was supposed to go a lot higher if he didn't fall out of a window. <laughs> he could have used a human wall at that point. <laughs> Literally. Where was Calais Campbell when, when, uh, when Nick Dichie needed him, right? Was high as a kite and tried to fly. <laughs> it happens. It's college, kids. It's college. I bring the bell if we're not now. We're disciplined. We're disciplined. <laughs> yeah. So those guys should, if not, bring the same level of production. At least come close. Um, it shouldn't be a huge step back, is what I'm saying. It's not like they have a hole that they can't fill. Um, right. I mean, you know, Kim Dichie and Rucker sitting side by side and on each other's shoulders, I think, are as big as Clay as Campbell. So there's a hole they can fill. Yeah. 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 And you know. There's no more double team. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, once, you know. <laughs> Keep it PG. <laughs> that is PG way of talking about football. Um, but. Uh, you pitchers and catchers, double team. <laughs> no, that's double play. Wait. Okay. Uh, 
No. Who are? <laughs> honestly, uh, sir, I can have another. But honestly, when you left, when we lost, uh, you know, uh, our our former favorite uh, um, uh, 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 guy to talk about, the, uh, you know, the guy with the midgets and the. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Denny your favorite Green. cardinal, Danny Green. No, your favorite cardinal. May you rest the in guy, peace. The uh, guy, lineman, left, blew out his oh, knee. Oh, Darnold Dockett. Darnold Dockett, there you go. <laughs> you remember how he used to have the thing for me? Yes, no, I remember now. Okay, he had the, he had so, the alligator. Yeah. So don't give me a hard time. Uh, <laughs> ring the bell on me. No, no, don't you ring the bell on me. But, you know, once, once Dockett left, the double teams went to Campbell. Yeah. You know, and, and you need that. You need a guy on your team. I mean, if you have a bunch of guys that, that another team can just all play straight up, you, you know, it's going to be more difficult for you. You have to have a time where guys are double-tripping teaming, always keeping an eye out for somebody, and they were doing that with Calais Campbell. So that's going to be, I think, the most difficult part. That's is, the type of talent Kandichi was in college, too, so hopefully he has that skill set. You know, and it's not over. I think that's one of the things that we have to also have to remember is – who the Cardinals are going to pick up on the scrap heap? Sure. That is an older guy who can fill in, and the draft hasn't which even is what happened Steve yet. Steve Kime specializes in right picking up a later stage guy in free agency, or finding somebody in the draft that they can plug in sure. relatively quickly. I mean, also, we know that defensive linemen usually you have to be more of a man than you are when you just come out of college. Sure. So that's what I think is is um, uh, kind of looking up about Kandiche is that you know he was hurt most of the season as well. So and you know you. Probably high. Dominating and kind of, probably ate too many brownies or whatever, but... Maybe it fell out a few windows we didn't know about. NFL spin They fall right in his mouth. It's not his fault. It's an act of God. But um, really, him going, dominating college kids and then, you know, stop it. (laughs) Eight months later. Speaking from experience, beating the shit out of college kids is a lot easier. Eight months later, and you have to go against pros. It's you know that's a totally different dynamic. A so full you year hope, of an NFL workout, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean you see, I mean when Calais Campbell came in, he wasn't the same player that he was last mm-hmm. year. I mean he was a, kind of a skinny kid coming out of college. It's hard not to be when you're that tall. Well, yeah, but as you saw the it's way he is kid now, two seventy five. Yeah, now now I mean the guy, you know. Sure, he's a beast. He literally is a moving um, door. And also, what they have when they what they didn't have when uh, Dockett left is legitimate edge rush. They've got two double digit sack guys, mm-hmm. so that will I think help because the double teams are going to go to one or one of those guys, right? Um, depending on how they're set up and all that. So um, another thing, um, the placement replacement for Jefferson, they signed Antoine Bethay, which I think was a really good signing. Yeah, <clears throat> he's an older Even player. Though he's older. He's an older player, thirty two, which we did, we discussed. He's old for. An NFL player, not old for a human being. Wayne threw that in just for me. Um, his numbers compare really, really in, well with San Francisco last year to to Jefferson. You know, he led uh, San Francisco in tackles, which is what you're gonna a safety is gonna do on a bad team. Right. Um, <laughs> as Cardinals fans can attest for years, Adrian Wilson. Adrian Wilson piled <laughs> up a, a lot of tackles, um, but yeah, he had 110 tackles, um, one interception, which Jefferson didn't have any. Um, no sacks. Jefferson had two. So Jefferson was putting a lot of pressure on on the edge, but he wasn't getting a lot of sacks in doing so. So I don't think that's going to be too much of a problem. I think he might be a little bit better in coverage than Jefferson. So I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off there. I think where it hurts him is in the long run, where you right. have Jefferson is only in his mid-20s. Obviously, you sign him to a long-term deal. You've got him for a while, whereas Bethay 
play a year a few years more before you start seeing that drop off, you're gonna have to find someone to replace them again. Yeah, and there's no such thing as a guaranteed contract in the NFL too, so it's you don't it doesn't really hurt you to sign. I mean, you no, know, and you, he, you have it the was a short term deal, money. a cost effective deal. There wasn't a huge market out there for Bethay because of the age thing, I right. think, because otherwise he's putting up decent numbers. Um, so, hey. How about how about the last little bit on your schedule here, Carlos Dansby? I know Carlos Dansby. I know back. I said I might have saw him fall outside the window here, but uh, he's back. He's like an internal cardinal. You yeah. can count on Carlos Dansby to play well for the Cardinals, go and play decently to poorly for another team or two, and then come back. So he's back. He's in line to have a monster season, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, think he's an upgrade. I think even though even with his age, he's an upgrade over Minter. Mm-hmm. Minter was a serviceable inside linebacker, but he was very limited um, athletically. Carlos Dansby is an athletic freak. Yeah. He comes from a middle linebacker. If you just look at him, he's just, like, huge and fast. And yeah. there you go. That's all you need. So I think he'll have another good year for them. He, you know, he bounced around Ohio for a bit, and now he's back. Yeah, who would want to go to Cleveland? Well, he Especially went to Cleveland the for the money, and then the Bengals signed him last year, and he had a pretty decent season, even though he didn't he didn't start many games for them, but he still put up some pretty decent numbers. So I think he'll be starting again for the Cardinals unless they address it in the draft, which is a possibility. Um, but I think they need that guy next to um, safety turned linebacker. His name escapes me that they have uh, Buchanan, right? Because Buchanan is smaller for a linebacker. He's beefed up a lot since he's taken on that role full time. Right. He's still got a smaller frame for a linebacker, so they need a little bit, bit bigger guy next to him to help him out. So I think they either need to draft a traditional linebacker or stick with him. Um, and before we wrap up, other uh, needs in the draft. So linebacker, I think, cornerback, wide receiver are where they need because they need they need to find Fitzgerald to replace it. They yeah. need someone opposite him with deep with a deep threat. What they thought Michael Floyd was going to be, they need. Yeah, with no with no John Brown, which could be cell or sure. And he's supposed or, to be yeah. better. Um, and I don't think I think that speed receiver isn't as much of a need. I think just that bigger guy down the sideline with the jumping radius and yeah, I mean, my, I mean, uh, are my, we still talking about the different Cardinals offense that we had after the third of the way through the season last year? Because then they started to do things that's a little true. bit different. That's true. I think well, and I, and people are you're gonna get Jerron Brown back, which is he, I think he's mm-hmm. a really under he's been in the offense for a very long time. So right. he, and he's you know he's a six two receiver. He's he's got decent size. He's not one of the bigger. He's not like a Mike Evans, but he's decent size. So I think they'll be okay if they don't get one, but I think you want to find someone who's going to be your number one when Fitzgerald eventually retires. So. Oh, yeah, and it could be next year. And we've seen players take a long time to get used to this offense, um, the intricacies, so you're better off getting them sooner than later. And oh, yeah. that leads us to quarterback. They need a, someone to replace Carson Palmer, and you'd Romo. preferably like that person to have a few. Everybody wanted Romo. Yeah, who is more injury-prone in the same age as Carson Palmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cowboys fans. So you would want them to find someone who can possibly study under Palmer this year at least, maybe a couple more if Palmer decides to stick around and learn the offense. That being said, quarterbacks get taken real quick, and no one in this draft is all that inspiring when it comes to taking with a 13th overall pick. Right. And not anyone worth taking at all might be gone by the second round 13th overall pick. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. Yeah, you have to hope that somehow um, they have an insight into somebody. I mean, you know... The only exposure I really have to the college game is because I'm a Sun Devil homer, and I don't really follow college football, so it's hard to find those guys. But when we played Texas, uh, when Arizona State played Texas Tech, I was impressed with Mahomes. 
Um, but okay. I understand the run and shoot, you know, yeah, run and gun. Offense you know. doesn't translate always to the it NFL. It doesn't. But you know, like they say, ninety percent of college offenses are now that. Sure. So you're going to have to get a guy that does yeah. that anyway. And you yeah, know, Davis I mean, the, Webb from UCLA. Yeah, and the guy can spin it. He used to go to AM. Yeah. You know, and, and he he can throw on the run. You know, he he's big. Er, you know, he's not he's not you know, uh, Ben Roethlisberger big. What about pos- big. possible communist by Mitch Trubisky? <laughs> well, we talk, I mean, this is not the political podcast, but uh, yeah, there's been a lot of I'm Russian going, infiltration. I'm going solely on last name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't trust an adult named Mitchell. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was a good point to end on. With the Bing, let's move on to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns. All right. Not much to say about the Suns right now, and that's mostly their fault. Um they're the Phoenix who? The Phoenix Suns. Oh, who's that? Oh, we have a basketball team? We do, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have an ABA basketball I I team. They used to be here, but I thought they left. Like, when Steve Nash left, the, they didn't. No, they? we've got this team, so they were... Didn't they move? They, uh, didn't they become the college team in, in Tucson? <laughs> no, they were the team They they were the team in the ABA that loses to the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and they, they came back. The Arizona no, so, Rattlers. So wait, I, no, wait. <laughs> the Suns had a good thing going. They were they did. They were a developing young team, and they were awful. They were like on their way to the third worst record in the NBA, but they were still exciting to watch. I would still. I'm not even a huge Suns fan. I would still find myself watching Suns games because they were still like you could see these players who weren't ne- weren't there yet, but you'd see flashes, and that's fun to watch. Oh yeah, because um, most most of their games they were in it until about midway through the fourth quarter they run out of gas and you could see that and you're like once these kids finish figure out how to close, you could see this shitty season turning around real well, quick. Well, they have enough depth. Yeah, you could see it turning around real quick, and then they went full 76ers tank mode, which I understand why they did it. You don't want to lose because this draft is really top heavy. The ter- first five picks are going to be phenomenal players, and then after that you. You don't know what you're going to get, and they are right. on the verge of losing out on that. So I can understand why they did it, but there are negatives too. Um, Eric Bledsoe is what you're talking about on the bench. I think that's even a negative. He's not interest, I, yeah, even though he's not because that's going to hurt. He's having a career year, and you're going to alienate. If you have to trade him because if you take Ball or uh, sure, and remember the guy what happened, Washington. Uh, yeah, uh, what's his name again? Um, Fultz. Fultz. Markel, Markel Fultz. Fultz. Sure. Right. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. <laughs> By sure, I meant yes. That's his name. Not sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's his name. Um, the Ding Sports Game. Yeah, so that's going to alienate him. If you draft one of those guys, which I don't think they... Well, then you have to trade him. I don't think they're going to have a top two pick, honestly. But... Yeah, but does does Fultz and Ball go one, too? Uh, Fultz we don't will, know. I think Fultz will go one. Does Yeah, does Ball go two with Ball's his, got with some his dad? Nah. <laughs> Video recently, ball video recently came out of his dad playing basketball in, a, in an adult rec league, and uh, let's just say the video does not match uh, the hype. Oh, his dad's not too good. His dad is not. That one. No, his dad tried to pass one off the backboard to himself. Didn't go well. <laughs> uh, his dad does. Um, though I must say that if if um, if Ball plays defense anything like his father, then the Steph Curry comparisons <laughs> might be apt because his father doesn't play defense. <laughs> Well, they say that there's a problem with ball shot too. He has I mean, got a I mean, funky shot. I've heard some of the you know, prognosticators say he's Jason Kidd, which and that's a bad thing. As long as he's not beating his wife, that's a pretty good <laughs> point guard that you're going to get. No, no, now he no he smushed fries in her face. <laughs> okay. Oh, John, are you defending <laughs> smashing fries? Backward or? 2000, undone but, by frozen French fries. But 
if if someone's criticizing a player and saying, oh, but he might just okay. be. Okay. All right, all right. Who didn't pause their phone? You can edit that up. <laughs> no, that's in. <laughs> if someone's saying, oh, I mean, this guy might just be a Jason Kidd type. I mean, that's <laughs> Jason Kidd was a top five point guard in the league for many years. Like, he was a very good point guard. So... Got lucky to win an NBA championship, though. Yeah, you know I mean, I, mean? I don't. Yeah, I don't. But he he's a good player on different on a different team. He might have. Yeah, I guess he's but, no Russell Russ Westbrook. No, but not many players are. This guy, yeah, he's about to set the record for the most triple doubles in a season. God, the guys, he's the, a phenomenal. Oh yeah, and he's going to get usurped for MVP by a guy who plays no defense. <laughs> you never know. I mean, he James might. Harden plays defense like once in a blue moon. Yeah. About as often as he trims his beard. Sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> James Harden plays defense as often as uh, ASU makes it to the, to the NCAA Suns. tournament. Oh, oh, now that <laughs> is true. Uh, <laughs> back to the Suns, though. So, so they go into full tanking mode. You haven't seen Tyson Chandler. We haven't seen Brandon Knight, which I think you have a special well, long-distance dedication I for. Wanna give a, I want someone to give a hug to Brandon Knight because <laughs> the dude got screwed. Came to Phoenix, they gave him, and I'm, you know, and I'm taking it with a grain of salt because I'm hard hard pressed to feel bad for a guy who's getting paid millions of dollars, sure. regardless of what his professional right. life is. But within the context of an NBA player, you know, gets traded to the Suns. He was a starter. Gets traded to be more of a sixth man type, and then they're like, "All right, you're going to be a starter, but you're going to be more of a shooting guard." Says, "Okay, I'm going to do that." Does that? Plays pretty well last year, and then going into this off season. With since with the emergence of Booker, they tell him, "Well, you're going to go back and be more of a six man type," and he kind of says, "No, I'm not." Comes into this season and does it again, and struggles in that role, the role he never wanted. And now he's a 25 year old point guard, and he's getting treated the same as a some veteran on a tanking team where he's still a young guy. You could be ruining this guy forever because yeah, well, he's still know, developing. You could be ruining him, and he could not have a career now because what team wants to take on the contract he has? Well, there'll, there'll be some team that is desperate that will take him, and you know. I mean, if the Suns ever get to the point of actually releasing him, then maybe. But but well, yeah. No one's going to take on the contract right take now for a guy that might already be on the downside of his career after. And then we, you know, you have to ask yourself. I think with Brandon Knight, at this point, you have to ask yourself what the real story is that we don't see as fans or we don't see as well, being as separated. That's no other because, thing. Because you know, you, he goes from Detroit where he's having. He's looking like he could be a future all-star. And they trade him to the Bucks, And then he's still having a great year, and the Bucks trade him to us. Like, why well, does somebody who looks like he's got so much potential get traded? It's because he's a one-dimensional player. He's a scorer. So, as a, I mean, I think switching him to sh- shooting guard was not a bad thing. He's a scorer. He, he's not a great distributor as a point guard. But then you end up having, he's, you know, drafting Devin Booker. That's what I'm saying. Like, so, oh, crap. These successions of trades that were with him were them getting players they thought were better than him. He was doing good, but they thought basically what he was doing was his ceiling. He wasn't going to get any better than what he already was. Like he couldn't have scored 70 points in a game. No. He was averaging like 18, 20 points a game, and that's what you're going to get from him. Which is good, but if you can get something better... With four or five assists. But it's not untradeable. If I can get something better, yeah, sure, I'll flip him. He's one of those guys, he's got enough talent to trade, but not enough to make him stick around. But the, the Suns gave him a contract as if he was one of those guys. That yeah, because they didn't. Course. I mean, they didn't have. No, I think that was a gut. That so was like, oh, we traded for him. We better. Oh, we better. They're so him. far away from the cap at the time. Yeah. Too. I mean, they had to sign somebody, so I guess they put their money in one basket so they could get rid of. Yeah, just one, the one point guard guy. basket. They got Bledsoe and they got 
night on these huge contracts. And exactly. So that's why I feel bad for him is because he took it all like a champ. Even when they benched him, he didn't say anything. You could tell he was pissed, but he wasn't saying anything. He wasn't being disruptive. He literally did not start getting disruptive until they tried. You know, they tried to put him back in when they got a bunch of guys hurt and they needed some depth. But you do like, agree, though, and then he was right? like, "Oh, my back hurts." And you know what? I kind of sympathize with him. I might, I do probably do the same thing. Oh, fuck you! Like, oh, oh, you're gonna sit me? You're gonna tank my season? And then, oh, now we need you because our guy got hurt. Fuck you! I'm oh, gonna my say, oh, my back hurts. Ow! Oh, cops! My back! Ouch! My back! Yeah. So that's that's where I am on Brandon Knight. Say then. Is it better to trade Eric Bledsoe? Would you want Brandon Knight over Eric Bledsoe as your point? Absolutely guy? not. I think what they're doing with Eric Bledsoe is a mistake. Because no matter how good Markel Fultz or um, Ball look in college, that's no guarantee they're going to translate to the NBA. We all know that. And what is their upside? Like, what is the upside for these guys? Is that they're going to be a double-digit uh, assist, 20-plus points guy? Well, Bledsoe's already almost there. So it's yeah. like, I realize that he's quite a bit older than a, your young core. Was it 28, 29? He, yeah, and he's quite a bit older than your young core. But he still has, you've got to think, four or five good years, top-notch years left with him. If you, if, you if, already if, if Booker and Chris and those guys aren't developed by then, they're not going to develop. Right. Like, you, you need, you can't wait that long. You can only be a young developing team for so long and getting rid of potential. getting rid of Bledsoe in favor of one of these young point guards just smells like you're just restarting the whole process all over again. At some point, Devin Book you're wasting Devin Booker at some point because you bring in Ball and now he needs two or three years to reach his potential. And by that point, Devin Booker's 23, which doesn't sound old, but it's he's a LeBron James 23 where he's going to have Good four playing, seasons right. in the league at that point, four full seasons. Especially now, he's playing more minutes than ever because they've only got like three and a half guys yeah. on their team left. Yeah, nine guys, really, I think, yeah. right? They're playing eight or nine guys. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know. I, I just think it's so a mistake. He, I think Bledsoe is legitimately right now, he's not in that top tier of point guard with the um, Russell Westbrooks and your Kyrie Irvings and your Steph Curry's. John Wall. But he's like, John Wall, but he is literally, I think, number one in the next tier. Yeah. Those guys are your. 1B. Yeah, yeah. those guys are your, like, all-star starters. He's all-star reserve potential. He's still very good, and you so can win still, with you can win with him. So, what kind of suggestion do you think that that takes you to making to the Suns in the draft? If you have the opportunity to take Ball, I, or I think if you know if you know of a team that really wants one of them, trade down, collect picks. They're still going to be top five, top ten picks, like kind of like they did in the last draft, and where they were able to get Bender and Chris. So. Do something like that or get an asset for it. They still have a lot of picks. Cause I think someone maybe like a like a Laurie Markinen type out of U of A who's going to be more like a 5-10 to 10 player could be really good for him. He could turn out to be a Dirk Nowitzki type. He's a big guy with a really good shot. Helps stretch the floor. Like Dragon Bender, though. I mean, he can... He is, but I think I think going I mean, to college Lurch, helped uh, Markinen a little bit. Especially, Markinen had a really good show and helped his draft stock in the tournament. And Bender, we just haven't seen a ton of Bender. I think Bender's one of those guys where you have to collect guys like him because one of them's got to work out. Yeah. But I mean, Chris them, is obviously showing that he's got all the makings. To be a more traditional power forward. Yeah, to be, you know, the second coming of uh, Amari Stoudemire and Antonio Dice, I think. Those type sons. of guys, yeah. You know, I mean, a really good 
pick and pick roll, and roll the guy with Bledsoe. Punishing the rim. And then guy. and then the guy we're leaving out here is, is uh, Devin Booker. Another thing I think this tanking hurts is someone like him. And I know people are going to say, oh, it's hurting him? Why did he score 70 points? He scored 70 points on a loss. That's right. pretty fucking hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> That's more impressive, I think, than doing it in a win. <laughs> Scoring yeah. 70 points and then losing 130 to 120. 20, I know, it's kind of embarrassing. So... I think you're hurting a guy like him. Yeah, he's scoring 20, 70 points, but if you look at his previous games before that, he's had one of the worst shooting stretches of his career. He was shooting something like 20% from the three-point line before that game in his previous five games. And I think turning him into a guy, the only guy out there just chucking up these shots, that's not helping him because that's not the situation he's going to be in when you want to win. Right. You know, he's like, not going to be out there where you just give him the ball and tell him to chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. No, you're going to want him to take good shots. Because he'll make them. Yeah, he takes well, good shots. He makes them. The old Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant school, where you know you get to a certain point in the in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden, he's then doing that. Then you yeah, know? you don't want him doing it the whole game, right? And you don't want him doing it too often. I think in situations that don't matter, like the end of a hundred thirty to hundred twenty loss, because there's no pressure. You want him to get used to making those shots when the game counts. So I think him, the other, he's with uh, Bledsoe is the offense runs through Bledsoe. He's your point guard. Right. So I think that's hurting the development of the rest of the guys not having it out there potentially more than the chance well, to get. I mean, Ulis is not the chance to you know, get. He's learning on the fly. He and is. He's, he's a viable candidate. He's a viable backup point guard. I think sixth man type, especially with what he's shown. So I think he might be well, the guy old. that can carry your team maybe for five ten days. Sure, and I think, but I think he would have developed whether or not you took Bledsoe out. He's not going to get the chances he's getting now, but he's still the only backup to Bledsoe outside of the, some of the old guys they've got at the bottom of the roster. So you don't think he's a potential you know, starting point guard? I think he has the talent to develop into a solid starting point guard, but I think the... Bledsoe's still better. Bledsoe's better. I think you're. I think the best situation for them would be have Bledsoe as your starter and Ulyss as your backup, but also six-man who's getting lots of minutes, you know, occasionally doing your double point guard situations when Booker needs a break, Vice versa, he can go out there with Booker when Bledsoe needs a break, that type of thing. Because, you know, NBA lineups, the starting lineups out there to start the game, and then there's 10 different lineups that hit the court with yeah, the, I mean, different I'll, mixtures. And Barbosa still looks like he's got some moves. I mean, he's a, he's a very good backup uh, shooting sure. guard, I yeah. think. You know, I mean, obviously he can't start anymore. He's No, but he's a good change of pace from Booker, too, because he's a different type of player. He's right, a slasher. slasher right. He's, I mean, he's got a decent shot. He's got a weird shot. He does. Weird shots. The Marion shoot from the belly. Yeah, yeah it is um, like a Sean Marion shot. Um, I, I for those of you for those of you not watching our webcast that doesn't exist. Oh, he looked. I great. just did it. I just did the <laughs> belly shot. Um, yeah, so those. I think that would be the best thing for them is to keep Bledsoe around, have Eulis as your solid backup, and then move forward with with a starting lineup of Bledsoe, Booker. Um, I think. I'd, this point, um, Chris, and um, I don't know who you're going to have at your small forward position. That's still yet to be determined. They've got a few. I, mean, I like T.J. Warren. He looks. T.J. Warren, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was th- I would get, I had him in my like more six man category too, but I guess in the recent days he has shown that he can be more of that go to scorer. And then at center, I say get rid of Alex Len. Oh, I mean, he's going to be a restricted free agent, and he's going to so get a gonna... lot of money based on potential, but he's never really done anything. No, he's a big guy, but yeah. uh, he, so. they're not in love with him. And, uh, you know, eventually does does uh, Bender play center and be that, 
that functional center if you can put Could some be. weight on him. I mean, even Chris can play center. Alan Williams has acquitted himself. Nicely. I was going to say, I think he's like the second coming of uh, Oliver Miller, if you ask me. I he, say keep, keep, keep him. Um, keep uh, Tyson Chandler because you already got him under contract right. for a few more years, and he had an amazing year this year until they sat him down. He was rebounding like a monster. Right. So I think keep those two guys and just let Williams develop into your starting center. He's going to be way cheaper than Alex Len. Yeah. And have Chandler there to mentor him. It's only going to make him better. And his mom runs the cops. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, literally. For those of you who might not know, his mom is the chief of police of the city of Phoenix. Well, there you go. The more you know. Bong, bong, bong. <laughs> bong, bong, bong. <laughs> uh, we did not use that with the permission of NBC. NBC, if you're listening, we're not making any money out of it. NBC, if you're listening... Turn I, it off. Thank you. <laughs> and, and thank you, though. <laughs> NBC as an entity. So, yeah, keep Alan Williams. Keep Alan Williams. Let Alex Len go sign his $15 million a year contract to go put up seven points Alan and seven Williams, rebounds a game. don't ever eat like Oliver Miller. Please don't. <laughs> or Glenn Baby Davis. Uh, big baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could pay... Where the big baby at? <laughs> instead of... You, let me put it this way. You could pay 10 to $15 million a year for Len where you're getting less than 10 points, five to seven rebounds a game. Right. Williams, almost every game he starts, he's putting up 10 and 10, at least. Yeah. And that's all you can – like, especially in, a, in an offense where you don't need your center to be your focal point scorer, that's that's pretty damn good for a couple million dollars a year in the NBA. I'm with you. And, you know, it would be nice to see the Suns win. I know we you know, we kind of were doing tongue-in-cheek at the start of this segment – about, you know, who are the sons, you know, they kind of lost their relevance. And it would be nice to have something to pay I think, attention to I think over if they the winter. Keep, if they keep the core intact with Bledsoe and they don't yeah, do this a, whole new point guard thing, I think next year you will – I'm going to call I'm gonna call here now. They might <laughs> – I think the Suns are – Hey, let's record this. Oh, wait, we are. I think the Suns are a playoff contender next year. For a, <gasps> like a low seed, like an eighth seed type of thing. But I think you're going to see that type of dramatic improvement from them. So you believe Robert Sarver then when he says no big movements, we're just going to stick with this. I think Robert Sar- Sarver blindly asked backwards, backed into a good GM who actually had a plan, and he finally let his GM execute a plan, versus trying to get too big business about it and ruining it. I think Robert Sarver is a terrible owner. Yes. When he Jerry Joneses it. Yeah. But if you can sit back and let the people he hired do their jobs, it seems to. I think I do see progress. I see it working. Yeah, the Suns are. But not I think a bank. this. I think this tanking thing is once again as the risk as Earl was so candid about. It was a management decision, and whether that means I think that was more from the top end rather than the GM, because when he explained it a little further, he said, "I've got a boss, and my boss has a boss." So that tells me that he's got a boss, GM. GM has a boss, owner, and the owner told us to do it. And I think for a coach that's trying to develop players, he's not happy about it. Also, as a coach, you know, he doesn't want that. He's got this record now yeah. as a head coach. Yeah. That's going to follow him until he can – he's going to have to win a lot of games. He's going to have to win a hell of a lot of games if he wants to offset that record or go to college and tell kids – tell the try and convince UCLA kids not to smoke weed. Good luck. <laughs> They don't do that in California. Them California kids are straight and narrow. <laughs> All right. Well, Wade, well, on our last bell, I think we should call it a day. Yeah, we went about, that was exactly 10 minutes for each section, so we're at only 30 minutes, correct? Yeah. 
We're close. Anyone who's anyone it's who about rep- forty minutes. All right. Well, it was thirty minutes. And anyone who reports <laughs> otherwise is a Obama deep state operative. It's <laughs> Obamacare. <laughs> yep. Fake, fake news. <laughs> fake news. Thank you very much, America. Thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next time when we'll probably discuss the same thing. Yeah, and hopefully a good draft. <laughs> tune in next year to find out if my playoff prediction <laughs> was correct. Thanks, America. Bye.